welcome to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Graham Smith from the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University, and I'm joined by my co-host Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne University. We're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre for China in the World. Today we're going back to Hong Kong, where at the weekend organisers say 1.7 million people marched peacefully. They were marching against controversial extradition legislation they want withdrawn, and as a protest against police brutality. The lack of tear gas over the weekend was such a big deal that it was literally a news headline in Hong Kong. In the past 11 weeks, there have been almost 700 arrests and 2,000 rounds of tear gas fired. Today, we'll ask what next for the movement. We're bringing you voices from the ground and analysis from Samson Yuan, assistant professor of political science at Lingnan University, who's been conducting surveys with protesters. Louisa, you've been in Hong Kong all weekend. Could you tell us about the mood on the ground? Yes, well, Graham, the mood is overwhelmingly one of kind of fear and despair, and that's on all sides of the aisle. I think people are really worried about what comes next and how the city has come to this. Um, on Sunday, there was this enormous turnout, and that was despite unbelievable rain. At one point, the heavens just opened, and there were so many people at on Victoria Park. At Victoria Park, they simply couldn't move. It was sort of umbrella against umbrella, totally crammed in there. Um, and so there was this huge turnout, but a peaceful end to the night, and no tear gas. So that. Lifted the mood a little bit, but still people are very、um, apprehensive about the future. And over the weekend, I went to a whole lot of protests. I got rained on an awful lot,、um, and I was trying to just get a range of voices to find out what the mood was like. I started at a teachers' protest where I was talking to a 27-year-old teacher called Karen. I started by asking her why she'd come out. I'm a teacher, and seeing the kids like being on the street doing protests every day, then I'm a little bit like heartbroken. So I come here today basically for the kids. Like I want to stand for them. I don't want any、uh, bloodshed or anything to happen. So when you say you're a little bit heartbroken, I mean, what does it feel like when you're in a classroom with these kids?、Uh, Not exactly affecting my student because I'm teaching in a primary school, but I think、uh, it affects、uh, the emotion or like the teaching atmosphere. Like in June already, everyone feel a little bit sad towards the protests. So、um, even the teachers, they actually they cannot really focus very attentively to them to what they teach. Like. Because every day we are kept affecting by the news, so. And then in July, the news was much worse with so much violence on the streets.、Uh, how did you think that affects your your mood, your functioning? Well, like we'll be very emotional every day, but、uh, as we are professional, we need to stay focused、uh, to to help our kids. Uh, luckily, teachers have a big group. They、like, they can share their feelings and、uh, do counselling together. So we will stay、um, professional, but of course we we are affected by the by the atmosphere in Hong Kong. Do you feel like everybody is traumatised here? <laughs> traumatised, will you?、Uh, 
Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> what do you think will happen going forward? Is there any? Do you have any hope the government will back down? To be honest, I'm a bit hopeless right uh, right now at this moment. So that's why I think if we don't stand out today as teachers, then um, I don't think we will still have a chance to do protests like this. So that's why we will think that this is the last chance we can express our ideas. So we all gather together and do the protest today. And you really feel the threat to freedom is that great right now? Yeah, of course. Exactly. But you said you feel quite hopeless. I mean, will you continue to come out, do you think? Yeah, I will. Like, even there is only like 0.01 chance that we can win, I will still come out. I don't want to just sit inside the room under the air conditioner and do nothing. I don't want to do something that I will regret later. Later on, I spoke to two 15-year-old boys, and they were all togged up. They were wearing black from head to toe. They were wearing these black sleeves on their arms to protect against pepper spray and these face masks to hide their identities. They described their role as playing a kind of support role in protests. And I think it shows how the movement has evolved, that there are these designated roles. You have these frontline protesters who are right there at the front. They're putting out tear gas, and they may at the moment also be using radical action, in, including sort of attacking police officers with bricks, uh, setting fires on streets, uh, and even uh, sometimes using violent action. But we're also seeing support, a lot of people playing support roles, who are generally kind of second or third line, and they're building barricades, they're making sure people on the front line have got supplies, and they may not be willing themselves to take radical action, but they may feel that it's the only way. No, it's just a some equipment to protect us. Uh, I don't think today we'll have any violence. But you still feel the need to be protected? Why is that? Yes, because, because the cops. The, the cops. The Hong Kong police. The Hong Kong police is not uh, are not good to people. They are just working for the government, not for people. Have you been tear gassed? Yes. Yes. How many times? Two to three times, I think. But uh, one time I I meet a ten tear gas. You were tear gas ten times in one day. Yes. So I mean, you're 15 years old. Like three months ago, did you imagine you would be doing this now? No. No, I mean, no one like, imagined that. Before the protest, uh, we'll go to play football. Yes, we love playing football. And so you guys are support, you're not even frontline? Near to frontline, near to frontline. Does it scare you? Uh, the first time and second time, I'm really scared. But now I don't scare because uh, I miss the cops many, many times. Why is it necessary? Because it's the end game of Hong Kong people. If we lose this time, we have, we have lost in 2014 and now if we lose again many people will get into jails 
But if it continues like this, each weekend is worse than the weekend before. The violence is worse. The number of people who are injured is worse. I mean, doesn't that make you scared? Of course I'm scared, but uh, we have no choice. We have no choice. We have to stand out here and fight for Hong Kong. How long will you fight? How long can this keep going? I don't know. How long is it keep going? Until the end. How long is it keep going? I will keep going to join the protest movement. And even the prospect that you might get arrested you might get given a charge of rioting. I think it's worth it. It's worth it? I know, worth it? I know what I'm doing, and I know what if I was arrested, what I will face. But I know we are fighting for freedom, democracy, and justice. Generally, the age of the protesters is quite young, but if you look around, many people are taking these roles. I spoke to a 31-year-old salesman who was also kitted out in all of this gear, and I asked him if he was wearing that because he was expecting trouble. Maybe, because most of the trouble is from the police, the Hong Kong police. They shoot tear gas randomly like near the living, and uh, uh, we just prepare this kind of protection for our own safety. It is hard to speak throughout the mass. Yes. What do you want to know? So how many times have you been tear gassed? Uh, two. Two, two times? times yeah. They are not very close because when uh, I'm not like the front, on the front side of the, uh, the robot. I just stand in the middle. You are like a support yes, person? Yes. And uh, what is your role? If some people is uh, like when the people come and then they they maybe like need some help, uh, maybe they got a rat, we try to help them to leave. Do you feel that it is scary? A little bit, but when you are being among all the people here and then you feel you are one of them, and then uh, you would like to help them even there's you have to take with. Now. Two or three months ago, could you imagine you would be doing this with your weekends? Uh, I, ca- I, can't, I can't even imagine what happened next day, so nothing can be expected in this situation. So what is it like living in a situation where you don't know from one day to the next what will happen? Just watch out on your next death, <laughs> that's all. Maybe I, I, maybe I will get a rest today and then maybe... Yeah, so so you, you can't do any expectation. Do you fear for Hong Kong's future at this point? Because this I think everyone here is fear of the future. And uh, we worry about that uh, the uh, China, they really send their army to, to, to end this revolution. Like, just like a girl is being raped by like 10 strong men. Uh, even we know there's very, very little chance to win, but we still have to shout out and uh, try to refuse their action. So you're, you're comparing the situation of Hong Kong to a girl being raped by 10 strong men, yeah, and you, you China imagine. would be the wrong strong man. Yeah, we only have like 7 million people in Hong Kong, and then uh, 
they are like 10 times or 12 times of, of us and uh, not indeed not really 100% of the Hong Kong people uh, support us maybe half because uh, it, it, within this uh, like 30 years China's tried to send so many uh, China people to Hong Kong and uh, now many uh, of them are supporting the China government. So the guy you just talked to there, he said that not all Hong Kong people support the protesters and given the level of violence we've been seeing and the fact that businesses are being affected by this, you also found time to go along to a pro-police rally. Could you tell us a bit about what you saw there? Yeah, Graham, so the crowd was very large as well, although um, I should say there's some queries about the figures. The organisers said 476,000 people attended this rally, which would actually be physically impossible in the space, but there were a lot of people there. Um, I'd heard doubts about whether people might have been mobilised, but I didn't see any sign of that, and that was something that I was kind of specifically looking for and asking about. So a lot of people had come with their various associations, so it might be alumni from a single university or people with hometown associations, but those people that I spoke to seemed to have really come out spontaneously, Um, though I guess it looked more organised because there was an awful lot of posing for pictures. There were lots of Chinese flags and lots of people posing for pictures with flags. But I would say this crowd uh, seemed a bit less committed. Uh, I was half an hour late and very soon after I arrived, people started leaving and actually the rally ended half an hour early because everyone had just gone. But I did uh, speak to a couple of people and I wanted to find out who they were and why they had come out to the pro-police rally that day. I think it's time we have to stand out to make our voice. Just not everybody wants to make the violence. Not everybody hates the the current government or hates China. It's not. You you see a lot of people in here, they are the same as me. They support the government. They want the peace. They want against the violence. So that's what they want to do. And I find in right now, in the media, in TV, in everywhere, all we can hear some the voice the same. They will criticize the government, they say the China is not good, and say they have no freedom, no democracy. I think it's not true, it's wrong. So I think uh, this is very long. So I also, I hope you can send another message to tell the people in here, have a different voice. One of the things the protesters say is that they are violent because the police have been violent yes. towards them. I mean, what would you say to that argument? Okay, if someone, if he tried to use a peaceful protest, I see in the TV every time that always the, the police still not do the violence. They just stand by and watch what happened, not do some violence. But every time some black man, some black protester... You mean people, protesters wearing yeah, yeah, yeah. They have the hammer, have covered the face, they try to attack the police. They make the, all the street is messy. So in that situation, the police try to stop it. So use some violence. So I think if the police use the violence to support, stop another violence, that's, that's good, no problem. And I want to ask a question. If in the Europe, if in the USA, if the same situation, how the police would do it? If the terrorists they wanted to throw the brakes and use a metal stab to attack you, how the police to stop this violence? 
I said, no way, I think. You used the word terrorist. Do you think what's happening is terrorism? I don't describe it as other people. Some people, some people, they make the fire and they beat the people. And also what we see in the airport, they charge to prison the person and, uh, and attack him. I, I don't know which word can describe it. So I don't say all people as a terrorist, not, not. I can agree, some people, they are very peaceful to protest. There's no problem. In Hong Kong, they have the basic right freely to express his emotion, have the speech, have the freedom speech. There's no problem. They can relate. They can protest, no problem. I just condemn, I just condemn those kind of violence. Why did you come out today? Because I think the violence don't get what you want. That you got to sit down and have maybe have a, a peaceful talk. Maybe it can uh, the people to get to normal life. But I guess the protesters would say the government has not offered any dialogue. Uh, it is it's diff difficult to say that because you are getting that you are just uh, against the, maybe the whole society. You have to first. You have to sit down first. You you don't just just get punching each other. You don't just get violence on the police station. You don't disturb people's life. You just do. You are students. You you get man. You have many. You learn many things. You have knowledge. Just you get you know more than other people. You have to get peaceful first. They say the police have been very violent towards them. Are you are you against police violence as well? The police is how to define the violence. If the police, the policemen don't violence at you first, because they just ask you to uh, keep keep peaceful. You just you have to uh, go back home. If, if you are getting late, you are disturbing people's life. If you are, uh, if the protectors are just like slowing stores, there's uh, some fire, get some fire. The, pe the policemen have to just keep, keep others, others like they safe. You can't say, oh, because the policemen are just against you. They have to use some violence first. Um, I noticed that you have a flag. You yeah. come with a flag for uh, Science and Technology University yeah, yes. in Hubei. Yes, Hubei. So did a whole group of you come out today? Not all of them, I think, because other people may get something, other things. But I am just, I am available, so I have to say something to support. The, actually, we don't, we don't like to speak out because it's normal for our life. We got one piece, but so, we have to speak, speak out. So you organize this group to come out. We to don't organize. We just say, hey. If anyone want to support a police or want to get peaceful, you can speak, you can stand out. And how many people came today? Oh, maybe how to say maybe just maybe less than ten of us. Oh. Because others are in in the maybe they cannot find us because there are too many people. <laughs> and how long have you been in Hong Kong? I've been here for more than ten years. So you're a Hong Kong resident. Yes, yes. And are you worried about the future of Hong Kong? Yes, I'm worried about the education about my children, actually, because I heard that uh, some, not all of them, but some teachers or some students are just using some cold violence. Just they they want 
the others to against the policeman so they want the student to stop the class or something like this. They want to just... Oh yes, I heard there might be a boycott of class. Yes, something like this. Yes, something like this. People have different opinion. You, you can speak up, but you don't use violence. Um, there is some really interesting work being done on the protests by a group of academics in Hong Kong, and I spoke to one of them, Samson Yun, uh, from Lingnan University, and his group of uh, social scientists have surveyed about 8,000 people at about a dozen protests. Um, I tracked him down at a protest, and you might hear that there's a bit of noise in the background. I asked him what his surveys had discovered about the anti-extradition movement so far. The biggest group are people between 20 and 30, and uh, I think the most, you know, the mode of the, you know, the, the group is is people who are just graduated from university. That's the group that has the highest number of, of, of people. It's a super middle class, super highly educated group, isn't it? Yes, uh, more than 70 percent of the participants have either gone to a university or are studying in university or a tertiary institution. And also, I think half are middle class and half are lower class or grassroots. And it's interesting to know that uh, many of the university students claim to be lower class, middle or, or grassroots, which is surprising because normally university students tend to recognize themselves as uh, middle class. But it's pretty evenly split between male and female as well, I noticed. Yeah, I think the male has slightly more. The male has 54%, while female has 46%. But the other thing that's incredibly striking is just how focused right. this group is. I think I, only 2% want these protests to stop now, right? Right. Uh, so, yes, they are saying that if the government only uh, suspend the bill and do not give other concession, 80% of them believe that the protest should go on. Uh, and among these 80%, half of them, I think slightly more than half, believe that the protest should escalate. Uh, whereas another 30% believe that uh, the protest should keep the current scale and intensity. And have you seen any movement in those figures over time? I think the proportion that, was, uh, that are, uh, are arguing for an escalation actually slightly increased over time. Uh, and that is very surprising to us uh, and uh, and actually we also asked a question regarding whether they think the government will concede and uh, the interesting finding is that if they believe that the government is not offering concession the more likely they are going to ask for an escalation you know so their participation is not because they believe it's useful it's it's the opposite it's the opposite even though, though they know that the government is not going to comply they are going to add pressure. So what you're saying is people, even though they think their efforts are doomed, they're still going to go ahead? Yes, yes, uh, indeed. People didn't go to these protests with the expectation that they would change the government's mind. They are actually just going there to express their identity, to express their strong disapproval at the government. And do you have questions about that issue of identity, Hong Kong identity. I, I, I don't think it's just about Hong Kong identity. I, I would, I would uh, argue that this is a very strong internal identity of this movement uh, that is, first of all, built on uh, a position against the extradition bill and then slowly evolving into uh, an identity against police violence as well. 
and also about democracy, I would say. So have you tracked the evolution of the protest and yes. the kind of the way in which various causes have been added to the original right. we, we tracked the, the motivations uh, of uh, different demands. And of course, uh, over time, over the 12 surveys, uh, these motivations have been changing. I've been we, uh, updating them, we're adding new ones. Uh, and uh, of course, the motivation uh, uh, calling for the uh, complete withdrawal of the bill has stayed there. And the, you know, people who think that this is important has been very high. You know, uh, more than 85% think it's extremely important. Uh, but this percentage has decreased over time because, simply because the government has uh, offered a partial concession. You know, they suspend the bill even though they didn't withdraw. Uh, but uh, over time, we see an increasing uh, uh, importance given to dissatisfaction uh, towards the police handling of the protests and also the uh, disapproval against police violence. The new demand is that the government should establish uh, an independent commission of inquiry. That as a demand, people also attach a very high importance to it, more than 90%. And what about the calls for democracy? How, how, how much support is there for that? We added that towards the end of June. Uh, and it's not the highest, but still we are very surprised to find, I think, more than 80% believe that it is, the, it is a very important uh, motivation for them to come out. And now, of course, it's lower than uh, withdrawal of the extradition bill and lower than police violence or the uh, commission of inquiry, but still it's an important motivation. I think it shows that. Oh, uh, and interestingly, they, uh, they generally don't, think that um, step, uh, the, the resignation of major officials is something they want uh, we, because that has been also a, a demand in the movement but in fact when we actually survey the protesters they don't believe that this is something they were asking for. Of course they would love to see them step down but this is not why they are here. They are more here to uh, ask for the withdrawal of the bill and the uh, independent com uh, commission of inquiry uh, but I would say that the high approval towards uh, democracy shows that people understand that behind the bill is not because of certain politicians who push forward the bill, it's because of the institutional problems, the lack of a democratic system in Hong Kong. So I'm seeing this shorthand which is emerging in the press where people are just calling it anti-government protests. Right. Do you, do you think that's accurate? I think that's a mischaracterization. I think uh, it is anti, maybe authoritarian, I would say this is a better characterization. I think here we don't want anarchism. <laughs> We're not saying that you know, no government is better than government. We didn't say that. I think uh, protesters believe that democracy is important. And I think this, this is the institutional root of the problem. It's not just, you know, this government has to go. It's not just that. It is to re a systematic reform. So I know that you've done other research on co-optation and civil oh, society. Okay. Um, right. And it seems that what we are seeing here in Hong yes, Kong yes, is yes. pretty much your other research being lived right. out in real life. Right. So, yeah, there has been uh, several uh, what we call counter-protests uh, throughout this two-month period. So there was one mid-July when Beijing started to put forward a more official response towards the protests and then the pro-Beijing camp started to mobilize. So first of all, it's a, mo it's a smaller protest that is ma mainly to support the police uh, around the uh, central government office. And then the, the second one is a much bigger one. Uh, it's called Safeguard Hong Kong protest on July 20th. 
we also went to survey uh, the participants there. It's very interesting. It's, it's indeed a very large protest. And, and so you surveyed the pro-Beijing protesters as uh, well? We also did that, but of course the response rate is, isn't that satisfactory because <laughs> the rejection rate is much higher than you know, surveying the, the other side, you know, the pro-democracy ones. And what uh, could you find from your surveys? Uh, I, I think generally people who attended the pro-government uh, uh, rallies are not used to doing surveys. So they, they give us a very ambiguous answer. They don't agree with particular things and they don't disagree. And then they, there, there is some inconsistency in the answers. I think the survey results shows that, even though it's a small sample, it shows that it's a complicated group of people. I don't think they are totally anti-democracy. Of, of course, they, are, they have doubts towards democracy, but I think they're generally conservative, socially conservative. But I wouldn't make the conclusion that these people are anti-democracy. But they don't have the same kind of internal cohesion as the protest movement No, no, itself. no. They, they are much more complex and uh, fragmented group of people because uh, when we're doing surveys, we already spotted different you know, types of respondents you know some people follow the groups you know the native place associations or their community organizations uh, and these people are generally very reluctant to do surveys for us uh, and then of course there are others who are self-mobilized who came on their own and they always when they're doing survey they emphasize that they are independent they have independent thinking they're not paid to come but but still they have a lot of doubts on our question they think that we we're setting up a trap for them so I think in terms of the findings, I think we spot something, but I, I don't think we are at that point to make a conclusion of who these people are. I, I just have to say that they are very complicated. But when it comes to the other surveys you've done, you're seeming to suggest this is not a short-term movement. This is sort of deeply embedded grievances and that there's not really anything that the government could offer that might right, actually right, right. satisfy the protesters. No, there are a lot of things that the government can offer to satisfy the protesters. I mean, just the five demands are things that I think if you offer one or two, I think some people might at least go home or be happy about I think the nature of this movement is that, first of all, it is, it is a leaderless but not disorganized movement. It's a very organized movement, even though there are no leaders uh, or there are no recognized leaders uh, and, and I think secondly there is a very strong solidarity among the protesters uh, among so the, the radicals and the moderates uh, and uh, uh, from a survey it, it, it looks like that the respondents you know because when we gen when we're going out to survey people mostly they are the moderates because they are not people who are geared up and we can talk to them but these people are also very tolerant of radical tactics. We asked them a few questions, how they see their relationship with their radicals and that they think that they're on the same boat with them. So uh, even though they might not be part of them, but they're on the same boat. So they, they, they see themselves as a collective. So I mean if the government are dealing with such a group, you can't just do it by you know separating a group of extremists outside, out from a moderate. They're, they're the same group of people. But this whole thing that uh, yeah. the less likely they are to see a way out, the more likely they are to escalate seems to indicate that we are in an escalatory spiral that, right, right. that can't be kind of pulled back. Yes, I agree. So that's why I think people generally you know, don't know where this movement is going at this point. 
if it doesn't come out at this moment, I mean, eventually things will happen this way. You know, be, simply because the government has not been offering very substantial reform of the system. Uh, and grievances have simply been accumulating. I mean, over the five years, of course, things have been rather quiet. And I think this is uh, what, you know, the illusion uh, of everybody, uh, even the government, thinks that people are happy with the status quo. So uh, even if it is not now, it will be, you know, a few years later. But the strategy that we seem to see coming out is this uh, decision to offer economic sweeteners, to give people money off their electricity bills, uh, and also at the same time to start to clamp down on companies. Right. Right. So it's an e- taking economic measures. So you, knowing the yes. movement as you do, is that going to work? It's, it's like when you feel itchy on the right leg, then you scratch your left one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's not useful at all. And, and obviously, I mean, if you look at the Protestants, no one, no one is paying a- attention at the, you know, the, the benefits. I mean, people are even talking about using the benefits to buy more gears. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I doubt if this is useful. I, I think the government probably knows that it is not very useful, but they have to do something. And this is what they came up with. So knowing what you know, how do you feel about the future? I mean, are you terrified? I, I, I seriously don't have an answer to this. Emotions have been changing over time. So when people were having a laser show at the Chim Sa Sai, I think I feel like people actually were happy. That was the only night I felt that people are enjoying themselves. And this week, again, after the airport, I think things are a little grimmer and with the news that the, the people's armed police are at the border. So things are grimmer right now. I think uh, foreign governments were very worried. But I still feel that the protesters are not as worried. They are very determined. And I mean, you've been studying civil society for years. This right. is a, a moment in Hong Kong where civil society is extremely strong. Right. Right. But under massive threat as well, right? Uh, yes. As someone who studied Hong Kong civil society, I'm at a point that this is the first time, maybe the first time, I don't know where this is truly going. I, I re- still remember maybe five years ago, the umbrella movement. I still had the feeling that even though things will quiet down for a while, I was pretty confident that they will pop up again you know, at some point uh, because simply the, the structural grievance are there. Right now, I'm, I'm re- I really don't know because this is a more of an all-out mobilization. We do have a feeling that it's a gamble. I mean, people are not really thinking about the future. I mean, the future may pos- possibly be tomorrow. No one knows what will happen. It just feels like, you know, you live day by day. And that was Samson Yuan, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Lingnan University, talking about how people are living from day to day. Louisa, is there any chance the massive peaceful protest might create some conditions for positive change? I think that's what people are really hoping, but still it's hard to see at this point because we're not really seeing any meaningful concessions. Uh, The chief executive, Carrie Lam, gave a press conference today and she said that she would create a platform for dialogue and she would start reaching out to talk to other groups. But let's not forget, we have heard that promise before. She's been saying that all along and there has been no action so far on that. Uh, The protest movement has got five demands and this includes the withdrawal of this controversial legislation. It's been suspended so far, but the movement, people want to hear the word withdrawal. This is the sticking point. 
And the feeling is that it's simply too much of a loss of face for the government to do that. So I don't know where it's probably quite unlikely that would happen. Another very major demand is for an independent investigation into police uh, actions and police brutality. And today, again, Carrie Lam said uh, that this was not going to happen. I would add that on the streets, the situation is still not good, in fact, deteriorating. Uh, a couple of people, I think three people, were knifed at a Lennon wall um, overnight. So that's one of these walls covered in post-it notes expressing support from, for Hong Kong. And these have really become a site of contention, actually not just in Hong Kong, but around the world, but particularly in Hong Kong. And I, I myself know of someone who was assaulted for just taking photos at one of these walls. So people are very, very worried about their safety. They're worried that violent action is being taken against protesters. And they're very worried about a, just a kind of general breakdown of law and order. Even after the protests, I saw people, a lot of people changing out of black clothes into other clothes. I mean, maybe it was because it was raining, but also, I think, because they were worried to go home uh, to the new territories and other areas wearing clothes that show, had shown that they'd been at a protest. And I think this, all of this just goes to show how unsettled and how fearful people have become and also the lack of trust in the institutions, including, of course, the police, which uh, a lot of people now actively fear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. Since we did our last emergency episode, it seems that this is spreading well beyond Hong Kong. Um, we've seen confrontations in cyberspace uh, and on the capital cities all around the world. It's even spread as far as Hobart. Um, Facebook and Twitter, they've announced, uh, which is very unusual for them, that they're closing accounts and they won't accept advertising from state-run Chinese media. I mean, how significant are these developments? So I think this move by Facebook and Twitter is actually really significant. And I think it just goes to show the kind of enormity of the disinformation campaign that we've been seeing. So, so far, fa Facebook is just taking very minor action. We heard they're closing seven pages and three accounts. But Twitter uh, have announced they're closing 936 accounts and suspending 200,000 accounts. I mean, that's a lot. And I think this shows, as Twitter's been saying, there's a significant state-backed information operation, which is originating from inside China. So to me, it's really interesting. It shows us just how concerned Beijing is about that cyber war to get the sort of narrative control uh, in cyberspace. And it shows that that sort of information warfare is, um, you know, it's significant. And it's playing, you know, a really important role in shaping public opinion outside Hong Kong. I'm Grant Smith, and you've been listening to The Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway with support from the Australian Centre for China and the World. Find us on iTunes, Omni, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was edited by Andy Hazel. Our theme music is by Susie Wilkins, background research by Julia Bergen, and our cartoons and gifts are courtesy of Seb Danter. Bye for now.